How's it going? It is time for the podcast now. My name is uh, Pierre Hulselbus, and you are tuning in to the Hustle is the Hack podcast. And you are speaking or listening to the chief hacker, Pierre Hulselbus. <laughs> or the chief hustler. It depends on who you're, what time of day it is, apparently. But right now it is Saturday, uh, Saturday afternoon, and it is time to report, record the podcast today. And I am so excited about our time together. Who am I? I am Pierre Hulsebus with over 30 years of direct technology sales experience, and I am here to help. <laughs> During the next podcast, uh, we are going to help you get your sales game on, your selling game. I'm going to help you identify and Acquire the most valuable asset that you can have in business. And what is that? It is not your employees. Sorry, it's not your building. Sorry, it is a customer. Without them, nothing is going to happen. You just have a club of grumpy people. That's, that is what uh, the company is if you don't have any customers. Because cash is king. And nothing happens until somebody sells something. It all starts with customers. And sadly... Oh, so sadly, it will come to a crashing end when you don't have any more customers. So whoever dies with the most customers wins. How do I do this? How does this podcast work? Well, uh, what I'm going to do is we're going to talk about stuff. We're going to talk about the latest innovations in business and technology that will help you make a better, like proven methods. And we're going to talk about uh, modes and models and just different things and tech I'm a tech guy. I had a pinch of my 30 years of technology sales experience. Uh, managing, I've pretty much done everything that you can imagine uh, in that game. So uh, so here you go. We put that all together in the stack of stuff and we kind of mix it up. And uh, out comes this amazing analysis. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Hey guys, I'm always getting asked about my podcast and and how do you get to make it and you know what tools are you using to get online and get your ideas out there? Well, let me tell you, if you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's by far the easiest way to make a podcast today. Everything you need is all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer and then Hosting, which is kind of actually technically relatively complicated. They do all of that stuff and distribute all that stuff. Guess what? For F-R-E-E, they do all of that. It's uh, Spotify. You'll see your podcast show up on Apple, on Stitcher, all these great platforms. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, did I mention that it's free? So here's how you do it. You go to the Anchor app. Go to the App Store. Just put in Anchor. Or you can go to the anchor.fm and you can get started right away. Thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. (laughs) 
and we're back from the break. Thank you very much. My welcome to the podcast again. It's number two. Welcome, baby. All right. So we're in the hustle is the hack studio and we are about to get the game on. I'm telling you right now how exciting. I can't tell you how difficult this week has been trying to get this podcast done. Um, I'm I'm working if you're listening to the audio part which you know you know you're having this great audio experience you're getting theater of the mind you're hearing my you know dulcet tones coming across my incredible audio sound system that's enhancing my voice giving it the best quality that you can have and you have these premium headphones that you've you know you're listening maybe on your iphone and you've got that uh, premium headphones and so you should be hearing just an incredible audio delight you know and now what we're trying to do is take that same audio experience and bring that over to youtube and uh, so that's a little different you know i'm gonna try i don't know if it's gonna work or how well it's gonna work uh, but uh, you would not believe how difficult it is actually to get audio uh, on a really nice camera, uh, uh, a really good audio together on the same um, piece of MP4 uh, file that you send up to, to YouTube. So it's kind of crazy. But anyways, we're trying to make this because we have a, actually a day job, too, that we have to do. So I, I can't take forever to do all of this stuff. And uh, so I have to make it so that it, uh, you know, it's easy. It's uh, very low in terms of production but kind of getting there. So anyways, enough about me. How are you doing? I hope you're having a great week. Um, this week for me, what uh, has been a, you know, it's a lot of fun stuff. We've been, I met so many new people this week. Uh, uh, my day job, I do a lot of training and onboarding of new sales, technical sales specialists. That's my job. I, I work at this little company in Redmond, Washington, uh, for full disclosure. Actually, I read that this week. Uh, what is my social media uh, uh, rules that I have at Microsoft? So I have to disclose that I work at Microsoft. So, you know, I do work at Microsoft. My job, you can go on on LinkedIn and see what I do for a living. Uh, I run uh, sales readiness for a couple products at Microsoft. But this show really is not about Microsoft. It is about you. And who are you? You are. Who are you, Pierre? Who are you? Who is that person over there on the other end of the podcast? Well, if I'm doing my job right, I'm trying to attract young folks and people that are new to the selling game. And uh, you're trying to, you know, uh, do all of this stuff and trying to learn how to be a better salesperson. And that's what this is all about. If you're in technical sales, great. You're going to learn some stuff. I've been, that's my background has been in account and technology sales for all of this time. I started selling computers back in 1989. So it's been, it's been a little while, as I was saying, over 30 years of doing this. I sold my first computer at Highland Superstores. In fact, I got, I got to show you this. I got, I was... There you go. You make a lot of sounds when you get my age, but this is kind of fun uh, for you, for y'all that are. It was uh, this is on my YouTube channel. Uh, this is a uh, award that I got when I was working at Highland. So this proves I worked at Highland Superstores. Uh, it was like employee of the month. And uh, uh, I was in the right place at the right time. So this is from 1990. Um, back in the day. Uh, computers were just starting to show up in retail. And uh, so I was at that first wave when when computers showed up in the retail stores. And uh, so today it's super common. Like, obviously, you can go to Costco and buy, you know, $2,000 computer. 
But back in the day, um, if you were like wanted to have a computer at home, it was actually really expensive and complicated. There was only a few places that you a person could go and buy a personal computer. Uh, the store actually, believe it or not, one of the places that was out there was Sears. They had a thing called the Sears Business Centers, and they they it was like a computer store. And uh, they they had a company that. Uh, that basically ran their store and they branded it as, and they sold IBM computers out of those out of those stores and very expensive. And you could go to the AT and T store, believe it or not, back then too, and they sold um, uh, NEC computers there. And uh, I worked for the Highland Superstores, and it's kind of like a Best Buy. You know, it was a retail. We sold appliances and stuff like that, and then we sold computers, and we sold uh, Packard Bell. That was the main, and Epson computers and. Panasonic, uh, where those were kind of some of the brands that that we sold uh, back then, and so back then computers were still expensive. It's really interesting. Uh, uh, the, you know, it was a couple thousand dollars you're spending for a computer, and uh, they the first computers that that I remember selling were um, eight oh eighty eighty eights is what they were. Uh, called XT computers. So those are 8-bit computers um, with uh, IBM-compatible architecture. And uh, it was, uh, they uh, a lot of them would have maybe 256K of memory in them. <laughs> Back then, the most you could have in a computer was 512K of RAM. And it's just crazy to think, you know, this little, I have, I'm holding this up here in my hand uh, for all y'all. I have <laughs> my entire podcast in life can fit on this little this little SD card this little teeny tiny thing that has 32 gigabytes of memory on this thing that's you know about as big as a thumbnail uh it's a little teeny tiny thing and uh those computers back then uh only could you know you had uh the big hard drive was like a 20 meg hard drive this little file here is like $25 for this, and this stores 30 gigabytes. It's crazy to think of how far we've come in this business and in, in just technology as a whole. So uh, I kind of feel very fortunate that I was born at that time um, because today, uh, you know, in 2021, I am a seasoned person. I've had, you know, I've seen the life cycle of personal computers of Microsoft and Windows from when it first started all the way to to where we are today. So kind of having that perspective is really helpful. And um, part of really, I would say, the secret, if you will, of anybody that's super successful is doing the same thing or focusing on the same thing for a long time. And um, this is, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about this from time to time. I'll refer, refer back to the Pareto principle. That's very plosive. So in the microphone, there's a lot of peace. Uh, the Pareto principle, which is a, a mathematic theory that talks about the distribution of, of goods. And uh, it's really interesting that uh, when you, uh, you want to take advantage of this, you, it's like when you play Monopoly. Uh, we, there's a lot of discussion in, the, in society today about the unequal distribution of wealth. Uh, but it's not just in wealth. It's the unequal distribution of anything that's creative, anything that has a creative um, a- action to it, like a podcast, movies, books, art, 
uh, w- albums, uh, whatever you want to tell, uh, it, that principle uh, pl- plays out. You have, um, look at just uh, go, go on Amazon, and, and I'm a voracious reader of books, uh, and it, you'll see that the most of the books are from a very few uh, people. Now, there's millions of books every year that are printed out, but the actual book sales, it tilts to about 1%, the, uh, make uh, <laughs> about 1% of all the all pr- printed books uh, represent about 30% of all book sales. The same thing happens with music. If you look in the music business, you've got, you know, you've got a handful of musicians that uh, print their music out and sell it. And, and, and that consumes, you know, 40 to 50 percent of all of the music that's sold around the world comes from a teeny tiny group of people. Uh, the, the same thing in real estate sales, the same thing in business. Uh, you got, you know, it happens that uh, you just play the game of Monopoly and it seems like you have rolling the dice and it's a random choice and everybody has the same opportunities. Uh, but the wealth in the game of Monopoly all tends to one person. And so um, and it's just the way the principles of math and choices work over time. And uh, so it's kind of a little bit of a math situation. So anyways, the reason I mention that is um, a lot of people come to a podcast like this and they're looking for tips and tricks. And I give I'm going to give you that stuff. But, you know, one of the biggest tip is just work your butt off for a long time on the same stuff. And uh, over time, you will become an expert at that. And once you become an expert, now all of a sudden, it's like leveling up in your game, in in an in a Xbox game or something like that. You know, now I have more experience points. That means I get better weapons than everybody else does. And then I can wail on the losers, you know, and you can... Uh, in fact, in the gaming world, what they have to do is they have to have these ranking systems to make it fair because what well, that's exactly what happens. Anytime you play, like I, I'm a kind of a casual gamer when it comes to this. I, I have a couple games I like to play a lot, but then, but um, on these multiplayer games, I just get killed all the time because I'm not super great, you know, because you're not playing every day. I'm not, I'm not 17 or 16 years old or worse, you know, 12 uh, playing Call of Duty. If you go into Call of Duty, you just get wailed on if you don't know how to play. And uh, so, and that's that same thing that's happened. Those folks have played a long time on it. They're really great at it. I'm not so great at it. <laughs> they just wail on you. And so I'm the loser. And when I lose, they get more points. I get less points. And so that's exactly what happens in the sales game too. And so if you continue to focus and bring focus on something over and over again, that is where persistence and kind of the hustle, so to speak, of this whole thing comes into play. Hustle, you know, so that's kind of the concept behind hustle is the hack. There's, that is the hack is hustling your butt off on a focus for something for a long period of time. And at some point in time, you will get better at it. So that's kind of, that's kind of the idea behind all of that. Anyways, with that said, I'm going to take a break right now, and we will be right back. We're going to talk, talk to uh, what are some of the best strategies for sales beginners. So that's coming up right after this important message from your sponsor. How's it going? We are back from our break. We are back from our break. 
a little focus, a little tip, a little kind of inspirational discussion there uh, at the beginning. So now what we want to transition over to is what is are some of the sales tips. And when we talk about tips and, you know, uh, I have a little bit of an inside joke and I'm going to let you in on my inside joke. So it's so inside that I only know about it. So that's kind of the the funny part. So I'm going to let you in on my little joke here. Here's the joke. Here's the thing. Um, So a a lot of uh, um, YouTube and uh, the way that social media works, it attracts um, people that like to have um, simple answers to complicated problems, right? And so you kind of go, here's the 18.2 tips to do this or do that, or, you know, how to cook something. We love to, you know, watch the food network or whatever, and show somebody kind of breaking down how to make something in a very simple way. We are attracted to that because we like simple answers to complicated problems. And uh, when you go to a a French restaurant, though, uh, I've been to some of the, you know, fancy, fancy uh, French restaurant with a, like a three Michelin star place. Right. And uh, you're walking out that place and you're just going, oh, my gosh, this food is so fantastic. And what you will never see uh, from that place is a how to make uh, chicken, uh, uh, a duck a la range uh, in four easy steps. You will never see that. Right. Because <laughs> it's it's more complicated than four easy steps. And so, uh, so I have this challenge, right, that I have to deal with is how do I attract folks with simple tips and yet, um, you know, knowing that it's a lot more complicated than just tips. And so, so it's kind of a little bit of an inside joke. So when you see like 6.3 reasons, that's my kind of thumbing my nose at the uh, at the, the, the person that's <laughs> attracted to uh, this. I'm kind of baiting them in, uh, so to speak. And then when they come in here into the podcast and the website, they're getting to the, hey, uh, that is a lot more complicated than I thought. Anyways, so with that said, we are going to go over five pro tips for beginners. What are five things that you can do uh, every week uh, and to continue to hone your craft. So if you're new into selling, you're trying to develop some basic skills and uh, it can be a little overwhelming. So it's uh, with all sorts of new stuff coming at you, uh, new information coming all the time, dynamics, uh, changes in the marketplace. You're want, you're kind of looking for kind of North stars. What are some kind of core things that I can kind of drive down the road and then as stuff comes, it's not too much of a distraction. I can get back on path easy. So these are some of those kind of core principles that you're going to find. Number one is number one on the list is know everything about your product. That's I, I could. This one is uh, about as the most important part of what you need to do. You really need to know your product or your market. We're going to talk a little bit about that next. But, you know, it's important that you understand not only how your product functions, but the specific features that help that uh, solve, uh, you know, specific problems for your customers. Uh, You're an ambassador of the product. uh, And a lot of us don't actually use the product that we're selling. It's really interesting. We're not users of the product. So if you're selling ball bearings or uh, I had a customer once they sold casters. So, you know, casters on chairs, like that's a whole industry. There's a whole caster industry. You got to have casters that hold up like a, like a, you know, millions of pounds worth of weight on very heavy equipment as it gets moved around in the shop. And so, you, you know, you have to have 
casters that are pneumatic that can go over bumps. Who, I mean, it's a whole business. But the caster salesman, the only casters he uses or she uses every day are maybe the ones that are on their office chair. So often we are not users and consumers of our product. So it is important for us to understand the product completely because it's we don't come from a place where we understand it, especially if you're brand new. You know, you if I'm new in the caster sales, I maybe never even knew that NASA needs, you know, giant casters and the, the military requires casters to move guns around um, the machine shop as they're being manufactured or repaired. Like these are things that a lot of people wouldn't know about and wouldn't understand the market. So if you're coming out of college or just got hired into an account management position at a place and you don't use the product or even came from the product, this is why this is number one for you. This has to be the core thing. It's not answering the phones because it just it gets you to know quicker if, if you don't know the product and you're out there kind of in battle, not well equipped. So this is the equipping of your, your skill set. Um, so yeah, you've got a framework and a closed plans and you've got your CRM system. You've got all these tools out there to get it done. But at the end of the day, none of that matters if you can't have a good, significant business conversation with somebody. So you need to understand the purpose of all the features and not make a bunch of crap up about what you think they, <laughs> the customer needs. Uh, uh, you have to understand all of these features and the benefits of every one of the features. So some of the basic questions you need to provide great answers to your customers are things like, hey, I have a problem. Does your product offer a feature that will help solve it? You need to know these answers ahead of time. Uh, what are the kind of technology do I need to access that feature? So, you know, oh, great, you're selling this feature and it requires you know, let's say a certain voltage and uh, we don't have that voltage in our shop. We, 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 we run a different voltage system or, you know, Hey, we're selling software and it doesn't run on Macintosh and we're selling into ad agencies or into education space where everybody runs, you know, (laughs) Apple computers. Uh, To what extent is the product customizable for, for our needs? Like, so it's not just understanding the product, but how does it fit within a customer's, you know, world? Uh, Do what, what do I do after I, so if I have a problem with the widget, what, how, how do we access your support and service? Customers aren't just buying only the product. Often they're buying service of the product if you're in manufacturing they're they're buying not just the product but how it works in their shop and is it going are you going to be there next year to fix the thing who's going to take care of the maintenance and all of that so some of those things and values have very little to do with the product itself it has to do with how your company services the product or delivers the product or service that you have and the other question is be ready for the how much is this going to cost me And it's important to understand the difference between cost and price. Like the price is what you pay today for something, but the cost is how much does it, how much is it going to cost me altogether by the time we're installed and I start doing maintenance on this product? Or is there, you know, after uh, market services or am I going to have to replace it, you know, after so many usages? What is the cost? Uh, if you're selling Netflix, you know, the cost you pay, well, it's eight bucks a month. Well, not really, or 10 bucks a month or whatever it is. It requires an internet connection. 
And so if I don't have, a, if my customer doesn't have an internet connection, it ain't going to work. So the cost of owning that product requires a television. It requires, you know, devices. It requires an internet service, all of that kind of stuff. When you add those together, if you've ever gone down the road, hey, we're going to cut our cable. We're going to get rid of cable because it's so darn expensive. And then you start go, okay, I'm going to go to, you know, we're just going to do Netflix and Google TV or something like that. And that's going to be our cost cutting. Guess what? Uh, you still have to buy internet service on top of that. You have to have a router. You have to have network infrastructure in your house to be able to to take advantage of these internet-based uh, services. So the cost is actually what folks want to understand. So that is number one on the list. Number two on the list. This is a scary one, actually, often. A lot of companies don't teach you this, and this is something that you have to kind of own or learn, uh, and you structure this, and this is the, um, it is understanding the prospect's pain points, okay? So if you don't have a fancy marketing department or you don't have, let's say, a sales kind of management layer that is experienced in this, a lot of times most companies will focus on them. They they give you the sales deck and the sales pitch and it's all about, hey, we've been in business for 47 years and we're awesome and we look at our customers and here's all the awards that we have. And so, you know, if you don't like us, you something is obviously wrong with you. <laughs> you know, we are awesome. And uh, that's kind of what happens. A lot of companies focus on them, themselves, their product. We're engineered. We've got 47 years of experience in this blah, 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 blah. And what the customer is saying on their side is they're like, I don't really care anything about this. I don't care about you. I don't care about your product. I only care about solving my problem. And if you can help solve my problem, I'm willing to entertain your t- my time uh, and have a discussion. But if I, can't, I don't feel there's value in this for me, then you are gone. Sayonara, sucker face. I want you to get out of my office, you insipid moron. And this is where, you know, you get, this is what happens. Yes, <laughs> this is you getting beat up. This is you. <laughs> I love that stuff. <laughs> this is you getting beat up by um, the the prospect. As he's basically saying to you, you are a moron. You. Uh, this is all about me. The prospects really have a singular interest, uh, solving whatever problems they are experiencing. Going on about the magnificence of your product, and it only gets you so far. Sometimes it is a door opener. I will be very honest with you. Uh, when I, I realized this when I worked for AT and T, I, I was a, a salesperson for AT and T back in the mid nineties. Uh, and uh, one of the things that you realize when you work for, let's say, the industry leader. Uh, I have this in my current uh, position too, my current company that I work for, Microsoft. Um, you what that is a door opener that will definitely help open doors when you are perceived as the leader in the business you have the most to offer often most companies will like that opens doors for you hey this is pierre from microsoft and so it's oh microsoft has a perspective on this we didn't even know that that you guys sold that software or had a solution in that sure let's talk you know 
they want to know about what you know leaders in the business are doing. So the same thing was with AT&T. Um, we were the leaders in the business. We had the very best at the time network. The only thing anybody could beat us on was price. That was all they could. There was no um, company on the planet that had better service or infrastructure than the and reliability that which are all the things that you need when you're you know buying networking um, infrastructure. Uh, than, than the company that I worked for. So, of course, every company that we talked to would would be, you know, a potential prospect for us. And you could I mean, often start out with these. Uh, you can use that to your advantage. It, sometimes it becomes a disadvantage because a lot of times they just want to use you to lower somebody else uh, to get your bid, to get your price. So then they can take that to your competitor and go, well, look at what, you know, AT&T has given us. <laughs> they, they're giving us at, at this price. We need you guys to be 20% less than that because, you know, their stuff is better. But we're, we're willing to take a little more risk. But you can you have to lower your price. So sometimes you're just being used and you have to identify that quickly and don't play along with that game you kind of like uh if you're just looking for a price i'm not going to be it uh and i've had this kind of this is a trial close you can do when you're in that position uh you can kind of say hey uh guess what we're going to be i'm going to give you a pricing and it's confidential you can't share it here's the nda you make a customer sign the nda which most often they they disclose anyways or they violate that i've seen that happen a thousand times they, they will somehow magically, I don't know how it happens, but that price lands over on Sprint's desk all the time or MCI's desk. They, they figured out what your price was. Uh, interesting. So um, you, you, you basically say, hey, I am going to be 20% more than everybody else. And I, I, there's nothing I can do about that. That is just the way that, that this industry works. We are more expensive than everybody else. We have, and you can list all of the, you know, benefits that we have. I can tell you that uh, nobody else has those, those standards and I'm willing to entertain the conversation, but if it comes down to price at the end, I'm going to be very upset if you, you don't, um, you know, use our system because of price and we're, we're going to be done. I'm not going to come back and we're, we're not going to be partners with you anymore. Uh, if it's just on price alone, you know, if that's the only reason you want, then, then their conversation is done because we are going to be more expensive and you can be, if you have the right product and the right service, you can be super confident in that. And you can be confident in that if you're selling professional services, nobody wants the cheapest lawyer. If you're in business development for a professional service firm and you're working with, let's say an awesome um, CPA firm or an awesome law office or engineering firm, who wants to hire the cheapest engineer in the world? Nobody wants the cheapest engineer. So you're never going to walk in the door and say, our price is going to be cheaper. And so <laughs> you want to, you know, you're walking in the door knowing and understanding what pain points you're solving of the customer. Not And the pain point cannot be we're paying too much for this other thing. If that's the pain point, then I want to usually walk away from that conversation. I'm qualifying them off my list. I've got more important cut. Um, prospects to deal with. So prospects really, though, have the singular interest. They're solving their problem. So it can't be about you. You want to uh, know how your product benefits them directly, like specifically what is the thing that your stuff does that makes their day better. And if if that is lowering costs or if that is... Um, you, you know, if there's increasing business value or whatever it is, it's, you know, it's solving their daily problem. 
you know, it's a better mousetrap, uh, so to speak. <laughs> so in, in each interaction you have with this, this prospect, you're going to ask them questions that help identify what their pain points are. So you, if you're brand new to the game, this is how you can play this game. You can say, hey, I'm new to this. I'm not part of this industry. I'm just starting new. Can you help me out? Help me understand exactly some of the challenges you are doing. And when I was um, selling and working in consulting for many years, that we had one magic question. Most consultants know this. It is, um, you have had this problem for many years. Let's go. Um, our customers um, go to our website and uh, they're not finding out enough information about us. And then, um, so our attach rate um, to uh, between the website and the close is too is is bad. And so the leads aren't getting followed up on. And uh, we're you know we've got this beautiful website, but our leads aren't getting followed up on. So that's a problem for us. So what uh, you know, and so that's the problem statement. Maybe the customer has, and you can kind of explore that problem and what's the impact of that and and the implications of that and what is they what do they particularly need. And then the question that you can ask is, well, what have you done to solve that problem? And why has that not worked? So this is a really good way to kind of probe into the thinking of the customer, how they've addressed this problem before. This is not usually not something that they're unaware of. You're not usually showing them something they don't know about. You're, you're helping them, you're helping yourself understand the problem. What is really the problem? And you can just keep asking this, like, so what? And so what does that mean? And so how? And you're just very open-ended about this. What are your expectations? Do you have budget constraints? How do you guys justify or how do you manage the costing of this? Uh, How do you value this kind of thing? And just be super open. I am always open in those kind of conversations because guess who learns out of this? You do. You're the learner. And you can kind of use this a little like a -a rope-a-dope sometimes because you're not coming off as a pushy salesperson, you're coming off as somebody sincerely looking for help in terms of helping outlet kind of help me help you kind of uh, component. And that's what we love that Jerry Maguire movie because that was his, his attitude. I got one customer. I'm desperate to, to keep you. How do, how can I help you? You know, help me help you. And so when you're new in sales, this is a really good tactic to use having that beginner's mindset and that beginner's journey. A lot has actually been shown, especially in retail sales back in the day. A lot of several studies were done that the new guys actually do really well out of the box. And then later on, they become not as great. And it is part of it is this beginner's mindset and this learner's kind of journey that so many people are on. And that's what you're kind of doing is you're you're kind of going, hey, we're, you know, kind of figuring stuff out. So anyways, understand their their pain points. Important that you actively listen to their answers. Too many salespeople are just engaged in pushing and selling their stuff. And they forget that the salesperson that's doing the best job is um, God told you, he he put it in our anatomy of how we learn. He gave us one mouth, two ears, and two eyes. And so we can observe and we can listen. We need to do that in this and and we can talk. So you have different choices in the way that you can learn. So um, you didn't learn a lot by talking. So, So you have to Use these in proportion. God gave you two eyes and two ears and one mouth. Use them in the same proportion when you're selling. So you kind of look around and you listen. You ask some questions and shut your mouth and listen. And the more you do that, you're, the more you're centering your 
um, solution or your pitch around their specific needs. And you're not a know-it-all that I know more than you, Mr. Customer. You may know more, without a doubt. You're maybe way more expert at this, but you have to show empathy. And this is how we build trust. And so this is like that core principle of trust. How do you build trust with a customer or a prospect that you've never met before? And there's several ways. And I'm going to talk about a couple, one more after this one. This is the key. This is one of the key ones of building trust with a prospect is listening to them. Sometimes it's listening and repeating what they say. And then let them, from what I understand, what you said is, you know, your problem with your uh, lead conversion is uh, you guys are looking to kind of um, have some sort of automation in that that particular part of your business and then keep track of the leads as they come through. Is that kind of what I'm understanding correctly? And that gives the opportunity for that person, that prospect to clarify or clarify your understanding. You're basically telling them what you heard. And guess who does this really well? McDonald's. (laughs) This is the McDonald's close. This is McDonald's level communication. You go up to the the drive-thru and uh, you got the kids in the back and they're they're arguing with each other. (laughs) They're back there and uh, there's all sorts of noise in the car. Um, all the other things are going on. No, you can't hear. And uh, the um, there's somebody yelling. And and uh, and it just it's it's getting worse. It's just getting worse. And uh, there's uh, there's crying happening. The children are crying in the back background. And uh, there's all sorts of noise happening. And uh, you're you're trying to get your order through. Of course, nobody's going to do that. They can't hear you. And so the the person repeats the order, and then you have a chance to correct the order. So when it comes through, it's on on the money. It's it's correct. And so this is the McDonald's (laughs) close. This is McDonald's communication model. Is basically just repeat what you hear. And, and try to put it in your own words or put it in their words to characterize the idea. And that that's how we can build some rapport with folks and um, building trust. So that's number two, understand the prospect's pain points. Okay, number three on the list today is know your customers in advance. Now, uh, there is no excuse for this today. There is none at all. <laughs> There's a little application if you're in business to business selling it's called linkedin you go to linkedin you're going to look at the company you're going to see how many employees they have you're going to see how much growth they've had in their employee how much they've hired you can see who their competitors are you're going to see i mean there's no excuse today to not understand a company um, and their background so knowing them in advance uh, before you open your stupid mouth. Now, and I've screwed this up myself many times. I did one a big boo-boo a couple years ago, actually. I was working with uh, a little company called HP. And uh, HP has done um, has, has grown and changed over the years. And they spun off a business unit called like HP Services or HP Enterprises or something like that. So like they still make printers and stuff like that, but they have a whole nother business that does professional services. And so I was called in to talk 
um, to that business about a product as a subject matter expert on the product. So I had my pitch already. I had my deck all put together and I went out to, oh, it's like, oh, I should put their logo in there. And so I went out and went to the internet and took HP logo. Oh, there's a logo. Everybody's seen the logo. It's their brand. And I brought it in and uh, I put it on a couple pieces of equipment that uh, we were talking about. And uh, so I, you know, uh, I, I made it look really cool and stuff like that. And so then we got, we got to the first slide in the deck and the, 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 uh, the sales guys ribbing me like, dude, uh, that's the wrong logo. And so it's like, dude, I have this in like almost every slide in this deck. I have that logo. So we had to kind of crash and burn uh, the, the, the deck uh, and uh, go like, oh, I'm having problems with my deck right now. Sorry about that. Uh, so anyways, let's continue the conversation. And I just use this as an outline. But I immediately showed that uh, prospective customer that I didn't know them. I did not know. I was literally using the wrong logo for them. And we've seen it. Oh, I've seen this happen. And it is, it's like, it's like uh, that is instant death in a presentation is to use the, it's like calling somebody by the wrong name. You know, it's just like, it just shows you don't know them. And um, so you really want to know them in advance, who the people are, what they're buying influences in the organization. You know, there's so much research you can do on companies and being well prepared for a meeting uh, demonstrates that not only are you competent and knowledgeable, but you care enough to present and be confident in their, in your interactions with them. I could, you could be confident with them. And uh, so this was, I was just not well prepared. I was prepared for the pitch, but I lost him at hello, basically. (laughs) Hello, my name is Pierre. And we're today here going to talk about my awesome solution that my team works on. And we really think you guys would just benefit so much from it. Here, let me show my first slide about, you know, our discovery call that we had with you the other day. And I've got all the wrong logos on there. (laughs) So every slide that I'm going through, I'm just losing more and more people in the audience until somebody speaks up. So it's like back channel text, you know, while you're in the meeting, you know, you're getting ribbed by the guy. He's like, stop showing those slides, you moron. So that that was that was that was how we ended that uh, call. Anyways, it's uh, just a lot of people just don't take the amount of time it takes. Prep is everything. And um, so if it takes you 10 minutes to prep for you know, that call, you better do it. Uh, Do the prep work, developing uh, that develops trust. And again, this is what we're trying to do, um, especially in the prospecting phase, that you are working on trust. You are trying to develop trust. Uh, You know, people buy from people that they know, that they like, and they trust. And so people can know you, believe it or not, before you even talk to them. Like they go out on LinkedIn and figure out who you are. Oh, Pierre Hulsebus is coming in to visit us today and he's going to give us a pitch and they're going to go out. And in fact, Outlook does this stuff now. If you're using the like CRM systems and customer management systems do this. Sales sales enablement systems do this. It actually goes and figures out who are all the people and it goes out and pulls all the, the profiles. And if you're the higher up in the organization you're talking to, uh, when I prepare for um, proposals that go to executives and I bring an executive in like a CVP, a, a corporate vice president level person, there's actually a prep meeting that's happening before the meeting. And we're writing up a, an entire dossier, literally, of who all the people in the meeting are. It's a lot about curating the meeting to make sure everybody's covered and their peers are talking to peers and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, this is the kind of work that you do ahead of time. And if you don't do it, it shows through. And it also shows you don't really care. 
and you want to show that you care. And this is how you build trust. And this goes to the thir- the fourth one on the list. What is the fourth one on the list? This is the scary one because this one here uh, involves not talking. And a lot of salespeople love to talk. Uh, what this is actually doing Uh, So you talk the talk. This is can you walk the walk? It is rule number four. Always follow up. So in the morning when you rise, as you get your coffee, as you start to think through what you're going to do with your day, before you get on that phone call and before you attend a meeting for a brand new prospect or work on the proposal that you're going to, you want to follow up. So you have to find a way. There's no lack of tools today. There's more tools. I mean, literally some people just have a little notebook and they physically write it down and they check it off the list. And it is that simple. I have a giant whiteboard that sits right over here and I have a lot of to do's on all the different projects that I'm working on. And so I can at a glance, see what my next item is on those things. I use tools like planner. I use the to-do list, uh, the to-do application in, in Microsoft office. And so whether that's an email that requires a follow-up or that's a meeting notes that say peers responsible for this or somebody during a meeting, um, gives me a task and I say, okay, I'll follow up on that. That's what you got to do. Again, this is trust. Uh, you're building. There's always some, there's, this is something everybody agrees on the importance of the follow-up part. So once you have your prospect in the, you're like, Hey, we're engaging and there's some interest. Now I need to follow up. There's a bunch of things. And in fact, um, I have even coached, um, folks to give yourself tasks to do in the meeting. So, um, so you have your first meeting with the customer and, oh, uh, you know, I didn't, um, I didn't include this, um, this, uh, this, um, um, marketing material. So, or there's a link to a website I really want you to look at and I'll send it to you in email. Oh, oh, you mentioned that one thing in the meeting. Hey, I have a great resource. Let me make an introduction uh, to one of the other uh, folks that are in our network. Or, you know, here's a former customer that you want to talk to maybe. Like these are follow-up items that you have to work on. And if you don't follow up uh, when they're a a prospect, they're asking themselves, well, how are they going to treat me when I'm a customer? Like, so following up builds trust. If you don't follow up or have that kind of connection to the person, uh, then it's, uh, it's bad. It's bad. Let's just imagine if you had a million dollar proposal, a solution, it cost a million bucks and you got the person on the phone, uh, that is the decision maker. And you, um, you were able to cut through, just randomly landed in that guy's or that gal's voicemail. And they followed up with you that next morning and said, Pierre, we're really interested in this. And we know it's expensive. It's a million bucks, but can you just uh, call me and let's go. And uh, so you follow up, you call them up and you say, Hey, you know, uh, five minutes, here's the deal. I know all your pain points, all your problems, all of the, here's how it's going to cost you a million dollars. And they go, that solves our problem. Let's do it. That's not going to happen. No, that never happens. That's never happened. Why? Because you haven't built any trust with them. They don't know who you are from Adam. They don't know your company yet. They don't know if you, they trust you. That's so that never happens. No one's going to write that check right away unless I'm selling vacuums door to door or um, selling appliances in a store. In the majority of business selling, there's a, there's a little bit of a romance. 
that you're doing here. You're basically showing them and telegraphing to them through your actions that you can be trustworthy. And uh, about 80% of sales uh, that are out there broadly within the business-to-business selling, uh, but even in business-to-consumer selling, if it's anything of significance, let's say insurance or real estate, it requires about five follow-up calls before you'll even get engaged in a significant conversation because you may have the customer or the prospect the right prospect but it just may be the wrong timing for them uh they may be you know if you're selling insurance it's like i'm on contract right now it's too painful to change i just signed up for another but next year let's talk you know so that follow-up is really, 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 did I say it was important? I think it's important. If it's not, if it's not important, uh, you know, so that's going to be it. So um, what I'm knowing the next steps. So don't let that kind of that low open rate on your emails or, or anything discourage you. You could be a little persistent, pleasantly persistent is the term I like to use. Be pleasant. Don't be contentious. But uh, this is the quality of your work now is reflecting of what that customer's experience is going to be after you get their money. Uh, So it's not enough to sell anymore, just the close part. You know, there's follow-up and uh, stuff that has to happen. So, you know, again, unless we're selling vacuums door-to-door or knives or something like that or, let's say, world book encyclopedias, (laughs) <laughs> you know, encyclopedias, door to door. This important, the follow up stuff is really, 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 really important. All right. So the last one, and this one is, um, this has some scariness to it. This really, no. This is what happens. A customer says no, and, and then we start doing this. We, we, they say no because we feel like we're all being getting beat up. You know, it's 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 because, yeah, they, we we feel beat up. It's I lost my sale, my precious little sale, and it's, it's that, that part of. Anyway, we lose our sale. We lost the sale. We got rejected because of price or because they, you know, we weren't talking to the right person or whatever. There's a million reasons why we don't close our sales and and. Uh, you know, if you're in, in business uh, to business selling, you're keeping track of these usually in some sort of system. You have a number usually in mind what my quote to close ratio is, the proposals that I give a customer to how many actually buy that. That may be 20, 30 percent for a lot of companies. It's not uncommon. So it's like baseball. That means, you know, Babe Ruth at, you know, 300, which is an awesome baseball star. If you're batting 300, that means 75 percent of the time or, you know, the other uh, whatever, the other 600 or 700 percent of the time you are losing. You're not uh, you're striking out. And so, you know, just rejection goes part hand and hand in hand with selling. You just got to get used to this. It's, it's, there's no easy way to handle it. Um, and uh, it, it sometimes can get under your skin. Sales and rejection go hand to hand. Facing rejection is always difficult, especially when you're you know just getting started. And this is the preventer of sales excellence often is I am afraid of failure. And you, you can't fear failure. You have to like just get right in there and go for it. And, um, you know, 
what often folks do is they take that rejection so super personally that they have failed. They have failed the company. And we'll talk about that in advance selling. Yes, maybe you have failed the company. Maybe you do suck. But that's not what we're talking about now. If you're new to this game, you are not a failure uh, yet. You haven't figured that out yet. You haven't figured out. We're not, we're not there yet. We're not saying you're a failure. Nope. You're not a failure. You're a possibility. You're, you're just starting on the journey. And so you're full of potential. And uh, that's why we, we hired you uh, to this company, because we interviewed you. You were passionate and, and you had the personality for this. And, and don't fall apart when somebody says no. In fact, what you want to do is change the mindset that um, rejection is failure. Rejection is not failure. Rejection is an opportunity to learn. And uh, when somebody says no, um, old school sellers uh, tell you, hey, bud, you know what that means? Uh, That means you just haven't explained it good enough to the customer. So why don't you get back in there and try to close again? And then so that's uh, kind of the old school model. It's like uh, when the customer says no, that just means that's when salesmanship begins. That means I got to get in there and, and overcome all those objections and and uh, I need to, and some of that's true. Some of that's true. We'll talk about those things later, but I'm talking about the bigger picture when let's say you do all that stuff and the customer still says no. So, you know, you lost. Okay. That's okay. We move on. We learn from that, uh, that, uh, that at bat, what can we learn from that? And that is the mindset that we want to uh, take. There might be a hundred reasons why the customer might, might not be interested right now in what you're selling. Most of them have very little to do with you and you personally. It's not about you. It's remember, we were talking earlier. It's all about the customer. It's all about the prospect. And they just might not be ready for this right now. It might not be the right time or place. Um, They might have other obligations with other vendors. And so they're under contract. And so they can't change. Or like I said, you're selling software that only works with Windows and they are a Mac shop or something like that. It's that kind of stuff that happens. A lot of times it's the luck of the draw. It has very little to do with you. It's maybe the customer just sucks and they're... (laughs) They're just not a good, they're idiots. Like that could be true. You know, we, 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 the customer could be an idiot. That could be the other part. We're going to talk about that a little uh, too here. Uh, the the um, the Kruger-Dunning effect where the customer is overconfident in their own assessment of what they're doing. And so they're idiots. They just don't know yet. They haven't realized how complicated something is. And you're coming from a totally different more mature like understanding and they're just not there yet and so they need to learn like so let's let's come back next year and put them on the follow-up list and ask them well how did that strategy go you know knowing that it's going to fail so there's other ways so don't let rejection defeat you treat it as an opportunity to grow and when a, a team i'm gonna i'm waiting for the michigan state game this afternoon i'm trying to get this done before the michigan state game starts who the winner and the losers of those games go back And the coaches go back and look at the game films after they're done. And they learn from mistakes and failures and they use it as a way to improve. And so when you lose and you get that, if you're lucky enough to get good feedback from the customer and why they chose somebody else, well, guess what? You can give that feedback, you know, hey, we we only have, we only, we're we're a Mac shop and and we don't, your product doesn't work on our stuff. And so like you give that feedback, it's not your fault that you're now, I'm communicating that back to my product team. Hey, we lost these opportunities because of this. 
And so there should be reasons why you lose and you should understand the reasons why you're losing. But, you know, um, you have to balance this between your passion for winning, which is incredible. Like we should feel bad. We feel bad. Like go to look at uh, always, you know, I, sports is a great analogy. You, you know, somebody that stands second place on the on the gold medal stand when they felt that they were the one that should have won and they didn't. And you've we've seen poor sportsmanship so to speak uh, where people march they don't i'm not going to go go up out there or they they look so angry and upset that uh, they're not willing to uh to uh, to accept defeat and uh or any super bowl we just watched the world series and the atlanta braves win and the houston astros you know they pan over to those uh guys standing in the dugout and all the coaches and they're the second best team in the world right now and they're all like crying because they didn't win you second place you just got you know you have a ring you're going to be able to tell your children i was in the world series and uh for generations you're going to be in the books as you know one of the greatest teams this year but you're second place and you didn't win and you are bummed out and so it's okay it's okay that's in our nature we want to win everything and that's like if you're in selling that's okay if you feel a little upset that's okay it's okay but don't let it defeat you. Don't let you, you know, it should be one of those things. Okay, I'm going to come back better than ever. Okay, we're going to learn from this. What can we learn next time? You know, and so what? that's exactly what the Houston Astros are going. How do we beat, how do we beat Atlanta next year? You know, we're going to make some trades. We're going to, we're going to, um, you know, uh, upskill in some of these other areas. And that that's just the way it goes. You know, that's what you do. So those are your five awesome tips and tricks for how to, um, you know, beginning sales. So with that said, we are going to take another break really quick here, and uh, we will be right back with a stack of stuff and uh, close it out. I hope you're having a great day. Hustleisthehack.com is the place to be. That's where all the cool kids hang out. And uh, so we're going to take some time for another break. Talk to you later. we're back and we're back thanks we're back from the break all right well what time is it what time is it that's what Flava Flav used to ask all the time that was the thing what time is it or the big clock around it's like dude you have a clock right on your head why don't you just look at that why are you asking me what time it is uh, that guy was hilarious Flava Flav Actually, I loved those guys. KRS-One, that I love that band. Uh, KRS-One, I was such a fan of his. Still am. I, the guy is uh, so super insightful, just such clever lyrics. It was so great. It was such a great band. And what happened to them? Where are they now? Where is KRS-One when you need him? Anyways, my name is Pierre Hulsebus. Welcome to the Stack of Stuff it's the Hustle is the Hack podcast show, and uh, we are at the most important and critical uh, juncture of our show, which is the, uh, the st- what I love to refer to as the stack of stuff, which is really a collection of sales observation, technology information, and kind of mega trends that are happening. One of the things that I think is really important is for you all, one of the best investments you can make, especially if you're in the business of business selling, you're selling into businesses, is guys, 
just and gals get a wall street journal don't watch any other news you need to get a good kind of um let's just say mid moderate uh to conservative um news analysis and just news from around the world to understand kind of the things that are going on and one of the best tools for that is the literally still the wall street journal and um so it is pretty cheap you can get a subscription on your tablet for four bucks a month so it's el cheapo um and it's it's great um if you're new to it you can also um just uh uh, a lot of times you can get the printed version. I, I used to get the printed version. And guess what? Uh, if you pay taxes, if you're lucky enough in this country to make enough money to pay taxes, uh, you can deduct subscriptions from your tax. It's non-taxable. So it's like getting a discount uh, from the federal government. That is a uh, that is a tax deduction because it's a subscription. So actually your subscriptions for work and business are deductible as non-reimbursed business expenses and subscriptions are right on that list. So it's just like because you are learning. You're learning something, and so we don't want to tax learning, and that is why they do that. And so there's a little bit of a subsidy for this, so it's well worth your time. Uh, And so instead of going all around the interwebs or just randomly, uh, you know, I found this to be a really good method for me because it just keeps me from opinion journalism, and I get to make my conclusions, and they're very light in terms of kind of analysis. They certainly do have an opinion section, and you can, you know, take it for what it's worth, opinion sections. But uh, I like to just read the news directly up without having to have to have, uh, you know, somebody tell me what I just saw. Like, I can see what I just saw, and I'm smart enough to draw my own conclusions. And I find about zero benefit from most news analysis from any, and I'm telling you, any one of them, whether that's uh, Fox News, whether that's CNN. Um, a lot of times when I watch debates in the political season, I go to CNN, or excuse me, not CNN, I go to um, the uh, C-SPAN or, or uh, PBS to watch those debates because there's no commentary that happens. It's just straight up, here's the debate as if I watched it myself and was in the room. And I want to draw my own conclusions. I am not looking, I don't trust about there's very few folks out there that I that I know like and trust in the media to give me any sort of political analysis uh, or any sort of business analysis. So, so I like that stuff. Uh, I like to be informed, but I I, I don't like to be preached to either. So uh, that I found, anyways. With that said, there's there's some advice uh, for four bucks a month right now. You can go out and get a Wall Street Journal for your for a digital edition for your tablet. And uh, just sit down there and read read that. That's good. All right. So, hey, what, what are we talking about? In the stack of stuff, uh, what we're doing right now is we usually go, as is our, our want during this time, what we do is we talk about three of uh, kind of the top news stories or the top stories that are happening that I saw this week that I think that are important for us to realize and uh, kind of internalize and start to kind of put into our brain and start to consider the impact of what this is going to have. And I'm going to keep going back on these uh, concepts around the energy business. And so this last week, home security company seeks to offer more products and services to its residents and customers, its residential customers, that is, ADT. 
ADT has struck a deal with to buy a major solar panel installation company in a push to offer more products and services to his residential customers. So they bought a little company, ADT, bought a little company called Sun Pro Solar for, and here we go. How much is it? How much was it? What was the number? Well, 825 million bucks. Uh, so there is so much going on right now in the energy markets. And um, this is right on the heels of uh, President Biden signing or getting his bill passed around the Build Back Better build uh, around uh, the energy um greening let's just call it the greening of our energy infrastructure and our energy business now i've talked a lot and had a lot of different analysis around this and uh, there's a lot going on it's um, there is a lot of different things to consider about the impact of what's happening but the biggest one to think about is the repercussions of what's going to happen because i honestly believe we have reached a spot where whether you agree or not That is the sound of inevitability. It is the sound of inevitability. Yes, that's what Agent Smith said to Neo in the greatest movie ever made, which is The Matrix. Uh, and in The Matrix, the tree or the train is coming down the tracks, and Neo gets his—you know—he's in the fight with Agent Smith, and and uh, he's fighting him, and then he, uh, Agent Smith, like got him in the the chokehold, and he puts his head down to the the train track and here comes the train you see the train coming and he says mr smith or uh you know mr anderson that is the sound of inevitability and that's that's what we're looking at right here this is what i'm trying to relay to you it is the sound of inevitability whether you like it or don't whether you politically agree with it or do not agree with it this fight is over i'm just calling it right now we have young people that grew up uh, listening to Al Gore uh, in uh, junior high school, uh, we all had them ca- saw the inconvenient truth, and uh, they they have formed their opinion and now are in charge of stuff. And so the value of of sustainability and green energy and the push towards net zero emissions, these things are going to drive our economic um, base. They're going to drive economies uh, here. And a lot of changes are going to happen in our economy. It's just like um, when baby boomers started showing up in the hospitals and they started retiring. Everybody started moving to Florida. It's just a mega trend that happened as a result of a bunch of people getting to the retirement age. And so financial planning started happening. We see the advent and the growth of all the financial planning and banking companies right now. Look at the stock market over the last year, or not the stock market, well, the stock market relative to banking. All of the banks did really, really well. And uh, a lot of it has to do with the generation of people that are taking their money and putting it in the banks. And the banks have more capital to work with than they've ever had before. And that is because of uh, of people getting older. And so this is a fact right now. We have the young people now uh, that, uh, um, unlike myself, who, you know, uh, that wasn't something that I was taught when I was younger in school. Although we were taught generally, I'm a Boy Scout, so you're taught to leave the place better than you found it and to be a good steward of the ecology and take care of animals and, you know, be a, a good steward. But uh, not to to the degree that we are seeing today, not to the detail level 
of making it actionable and systematic. And this is what's happening. It's becoming actionable and systematic. And so uh, once we see the United States federal government say that we're going to give you $12,000 in taxes back from your taxes if you buy an electric car that's made in the United States by a union shop, that uh, that moves some needles, that changes things, that makes things happen that weren't before. So it's not just an ideal. That means now we're going to have 5 million new car um, chargers that are going to have to get installed around the United States. And companies are going to have to start um, creating uh, electric car spaces in their parking lots. And, and, the, the changes that are going to happen in the economy. And so ADT just going to this uh, is just the shape of things to come. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to say. So anyways, that's that's kind of the, sheet, the stack of stuff. Like uh, you will find in my, what I was talking about earlier at the beginning of this podcast about focus and doing one thing for a long period of time, like I did with computers. If I'm starting out in industry or starting out in business right now, this area right here would be one I'm really interested in. I'm going to want, if I'm starting to pick what career path I'm going to go on in selling, I'm going to want to have things that have long-term like growth in green energy. That So if it's about products that help you know, a lower carbon emissions or improve energy production or all of these kind of things. If, if, if I can see that and see the path in that, in the company that I'm working for, that is awesome. So this is one of the current mega trends that's happening. So anything in manufacturing or in infrastructure uh, or skilled trades that, that have to do with uh, infrastructure around energy, that is going to be a growth opportunity over the next year. It's going to be like investing in healthcare in the 90s, uh, at, before the baby boom happened, before all the baby boomers started retiring. So this is where we're at. We're just before, <laughs> we're at the very beginning of this this process where Rivian uh, just had a giant IPO this last week. Billions of dollars now are going into that part of the economy. And that just means you're going to see growth and growth and growth and growth. And it's just going to continue. So uh, so anyways, that's that's one. That's one. The other one that I wanted to uh, talk about is I had a uh, article uh, about being the best cocktail party guest. <laughs> and that seems a little odd. Why would that be? And I wanted to mention this because uh, I've been working recently with uh, training a bunch of people, and a lot of it's about uh, training them to do presentations in a team setting and in a group setting. And a lot of the uh, the etiquette that goes with a, a cocktail party is very similar to what you would do if you're putting on a presentation to a customer because you want to make that an exclusive thing. You want to make this a special experience for folks. And a lot of the success and failure of a really great cocktail party <laughs> is who do you invite you want to limit the people that come. You don't want everybody in the neighborhood at the cocktail party. I don't want all the kids at the cocktail party. I don't want all of the grumpy people at the cocktail party. I don't want my uh, uncle that's going to come in in the MAGA hat and talk about you know anti-vax while I also have a whole bunch of people that are ultra-liberal in the same room as we try to enjoy our, each other's fellowship. I don't want to make this a political discussion. I want this to be enjoyable. 
And so uh, you, you want to uh, curate the list of people that show up and you want to, what you're trying to do is you're trying to create some buzz, create some kind of like intrigue and nuance. Because once you do something like that, what's going to happen is because you're not like doing all the selling. Do you realize that like when you're selling to a company or into a business, there's multiple people that influence that. And the opinions of those people matter, right? Most companies make their decisions. It's not like a guy in purchasing or the head purchasing lady that goes, oh, I saw your proposal and okay, we're going to go for it. Like it's not one person that makes a decision. It's usually a committee of people. And that committee of people that have to make that decision, they all have to feel like, yeah, that's a good decision. I'm putting my name behind that. And we're acting as a team together to make that decision. That's how most decisions are made in a company. It's a group decision. And so that's why so that's why the selling that happens after you leave the room is so important. It's you're creating sellers there at the company that are going to do the selling for you. That is why it's a cocktail party that you're creating during your presentation. And when you show up and you're 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 carefully curating who sees what you have that it matches up with their values and their interests and they're basically turning around and becoming a salesperson for you internally. They're saying, "Man, you got to see what these guys did. That thing is awesome." And you know, you're you're creating buzz. And so that's what a great cocktail party does. It's it, it's there's a bit of an exclusive nature of it. Not everybody gets to come to the cocktail party. And then when the cocktail party's done, then then uh, the guy down the street talks to his neighbor that you didn't invite, and he's like, "Oh, dude, that was awesome. You know, you should. Oh, I'm going to ask Pierre next time he has that party. They got to invite you because that was that was great. I'm bummed that they didn't have enough space for you. And so you know, you kind of want to create a little bit of uh, you know, if you want to create buzz at a customer. You got to you got to kind of curate that list a little bit around who's going to show up. And uh, so a lot of times when we're selling, we have two different audiences, sometimes three different audiences that we're selling to at a customer. It is we have the technical buyers, the people that have to install the stuff and kind of support it and manage, you know, kind of the configuration and the engineering and fitting it in their environment and making sure it supports the outcomes that the business needs. They have the right to say no to something. They usually don't have the authority, though, to actually sign the check. They're the ones that are the technical buyers here at the customer. And uh, then you have the business buyers. The, they're the people that are more connected to what the outcomes for their customers are. They're looking at the big numbers and going, is this worth an investment for us? They are the ones that do have the authority to sign the check. And they're looking at the technical buyers going, would you recommend this? Yes or no. And so that's what I'm saying. All of the, the technical people, all they can say is yes or no. So if you get the business people in the same room as the technical people and do the pitch, the, the technical people, they're going to have all their technical objections, which is fine because you kind of need those because you want to overcome all of those objections or misunderstandings to make sure you're aligned with their um, system and that it will work and that they're going to be happy with your product as it goes forward and that that team is going to be on your side and they're going to be advocates for you. And so that's the kind of the rough patch, so to speak, that we often go through. It's not the buyers at the business side. They're often 
often willing to make the investment up front. It's the technical people that are putting brakes on the thing going, no, it's not that that stuff is old. You know, we don't want that. We've heard about those guys before. There's 14 companies that failed trying that. Like the technical buyers are the ones that, um, you know, so uh, if I'm having a cocktail party, I'm going to want to bring all the business people and some technical buyers that are cool that like me. Like that's who's showing up to those meetings. Uh, and I'm trying to weed out who my detractors are on the technical side. Anyways, it's a little bit of, like I saying, putting on a cocktail party is kind of the mindset to have that you want to curate that list of people that show up and you want the cool kids. You want all the cool people in that room. That's what creates the buzz. All right, the last one on the list, and we are like, get on with that wholesome bus already. Come on, you've been on this for a long time. So let's move forward with uh, the the other one. The last one, I'm going to end the, the show with this, this awesome analogy, and it is, uh, I have a poster right over here, this poster in my room. I'm pointing to my Empire Strikes Back poster there, Star Wars. No, it's the original, the OG Star Wars picture. Uh, poster. I have two of them in my in my office. I love Star Wars. I remember going with Todd Visser in 1977 to Woodland Movie Theater on 28th Street out by Woodland Mall, and uh, when I was 12, going to see, um, going to see him, going to see Star Wars. I mean, like now I'm 55 uh, years old or 56. I don't even know how old I am at this point. Like 55, 56 years old. You know uh, that that that. Uh, that uh, time really still sticks in my head and it inspired so many of people of my generation uh, to think so much bigger. It's such a cool, you know, kind of experience, not only from a sci-fi kind of world, but they created such an awesome lore and such a great hero for us to follow. And uh, so anyways, we always loved uh, Star Wars. But one question that I have for you is how does a Jedi master get their lightsaber and it's one of the most iconic weapons in the galaxy far far away and it's it's that spiritual samurai warrior right that's that's the idea like there's something bigger than themselves like they're fighting for good against evil and the jedi is uh, both a military order which was kind of cool like fight and stuff like that but there's a religious you know com- component to this a spiritual component and uh, so they are absolutely packed with all sorts of kind of religious rules, if you will. So from uh, fighting to falling in love to every aspect of a Jedi's life, it's all controlled by different rules and, and kind of things that they have guidelines in life. And, and some interesting discussions is, uh, you know, but uh, uh, that can spawn out of that. Now, one of the requirements for a Jedi, though, is they must personally craft their own lightsaber. The lightsabers are first introduced in the Star Wars films, but their construction was first conceptualized, and then it, it got deleted, actually, um, in, in uh, the, the Empire Strikes Back, or The Return of the Jedi. It was, it was in a, a movie, and later on shown in the Clone Wars and the games, uh, like The Fallen Order showed you how this all occurs. But at the end of the day, it's all about... Um, crafting that lightsaber and you're asking Pierre what does this have to do with selling and why is this important I think it's an important thing for this you have to own it my friend you need to own it and at the end of the day a Jedi is fighting for his or her life they are fighting for their life they're in the fight of their life against 
you know, people that hate them. And uh, this is what, what often happens. You are in that fight. You are the man in the, in the arena, as they say. You are in the fight. That is the um, 30% of the time you're winning and the other 70% of the time you're getting rejected. This is what happens in selling. So you are in a fight to win. And uh, so what that Jedi has is he's got his skill set and he's got his lightsaber. And so you, he owns his lightsaber. He's built it for, and it's crafted for his particular purpose, for his particular style. It, it reflects not only how cool it is uh, to have a lightsaber and, uh, you know, has a, a, an intimidation uh, effect to it, but it's, uh, it has a, a certain utility to it. And so it's the same thing when it comes to your sales skills. You own it. Um, you don't have to look to your company. It's great that companies support uh, folks and, and hire people like myself uh, to come out and help people learn how to sell and what sales is all about. But at the end of the day, you, my friend, own your lightsaber. You build it. It comes through years of knowledge and training and understanding and getting better at it over time and, and kind of going back. It's like a project that's never finished. You keep working on it. And whether that's getting rejected or whether that's getting the kudos and having an awesome day and hey, having that uh, that's my little award that I was showing you earlier, you know, hey, you won the superstar of the month kind of award at the company. Like those are the kind of things that help you on your journey uh, to encourage you to keep going and to get better and better and better at it. And um, the, the thing is, it's a life or death struggle for many of us uh, in this, in that uh, we, we, we don't want to be that first loser. Obviously, in the, in the Star Wars uh, canon and in their story, you know, when, when you, eat your, or when you re, uh, meet your arch nemesis, you know, one of you is going to not walk away from that field of battle. You're, you're dead. You know, like there's no second place here. You don't get a consolation prize if you lose a, a, a fight. You are dead meat, baby. And uh, so uh, it's not that extreme, of course, but, you know, you need to make sure that your skill set that you have is your own. You own it. You own the sense of feeling intimidated in a meeting. That's that's on you. That's on you. That's not like, hey, don't uh, say offensive words to me because that intimidates me from my job. It's like, okay, well, then you're not going to be very successful because some people want to be in control of you and they want to be in control of the sale. So if you're easily intimidated by people that are intimidating, that's on you to figure out. That's You're not going to be able to tell a prospect, um, can you be less intimidating to me? Like you're out of there. Like they don't want to talk to you if that's the attitude you're going to take. So you own every part of this. And that's the difficult component. Of, that's why selling is such a an interesting game uh, and a career because it's it's like being in sports many times. You can always get better. There's always room to improve this. There's always a place that I can get better at doing this. And uh, crafting your lightsaber is is what you got to do. You got to own it, baby. Well, I'll say it, I said it before, I'll say it again. That's why I say you're a promise. If you're just starting out, you know, I'm so glad for you that you're starting out on this journey, that you're, uh, you're, you're getting in the fight and you're, you're um, building your own lightsaber. You can do this. I know it. And I uh, hope you have a great week. And I'll talk to you guys real soon. Hustle is the hack. Check out the website. Thank you.